Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Well, good morning, Grace Hill. How are you doing? Good, good. Like you said, my name is Corey. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I'm also excited because my wife and my daughter are here. Uh, this is Devin, and our daughter is three months old today. Her name is Addison Jane. She's way cuter than me, so after service, if you want to see her, uh, it's worth it. She's adorable. So thanks for having us. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, October is Pastoral Appreciation Month all across the nation, Okay. Um, And I want to take an opportunity before I kick things off to remind you and tell you, you guys have two of the best pastors in the world. I know they're new and I know you're getting used to them and they're getting used to things around here and all that. But as someone who's known him for a little bit longer, I just want to say they are two of the best people you will ever meet. I really mean that. Um, obviously they're good at the pastor and the church things like worship. I mean, my goodness, they're amazing and preaching and all the kind of stuff that comes along that. But, but more than all of that, they are top of the line people. So I wanted to encourage you this morning, for me at least, one of the hardest parts of being in ministry sometimes is the feeling that everybody knows you, but nobody really knows you, right? Everybody knows the person on stage, the person with the microphone, but who really knows the person? Uh, So I want to encourage you as the church, get to know your pastors as people. It's worth it. You will not regret getting to know them because they are top of the line. Can we pray together before we get started? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you're already here with us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you died on the cross and you didn't just stay dead, but you rose three days later. Lord, this morning, would you speak to us? Lord, open up our lives. And if there's areas that we need to work on, would you show us? Um, If there are areas where we need to be encouraged, would you do that, Lord? Do the things that only you can do as we open up your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to kick things off this morning with a quote from the great theologian and life coach and all-around good advice giver, Pumbaa the Warthog, when he said his famous phrase, Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata, it means no... Worries. It means no worries. That's a, now that's a famous phrase. It's a fun song to sing. It's a fun thing to teach your kids. But at the end of the day, living a life without worries just kind of seems like a pipe dream, right? Like maybe a talking meerkat and a talking warthog can talk about living a life without worry, but not humans, not in Dallas, Texas, not in the 21st century. We've just got too much to worry about. Because the fact of the matter is we worry about everything. Some of us worry about the future and all of the decisions and the unknowns that loom on the horizon. Some of us worry about the past, wondering if our mistakes and our failures will ever really catch up to us. We worry about the present and all of the things and the unknowns in the day-to-day that just happen and come at us without us expecting it. Uh, If you're looking for something to worry about, all you've got to do is turn on the news because it is chock full of things that uh, the world tells you you should be worried about, from liberals to conservatives to Donald Trump to North Korea to the end of the world to hate to everything in between. You should worry about something according to the news. 
Some of us worry about our kids. What if they walk away from us one day? Or even worse, what if they already have? Some of us worry about money. Will I ever have enough to feel like I've actually made it? Some of us worry about our health. We worry about literally everything. The fact of the matter is we are worriers. And this worry is taking its toll on our culture. I wanna read you some statistics that I heard. Uh, one in six Americans have been diagnosed with anxiety disorders higher than during World War II and the Great Depression. 38% of teenage girls have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. That is more than one in every three. A recent study said that the average 13-year-old in America today lives with the same amount of worry and anxiety on a daily basis as a psychiatric ward patient in the 1950s. The fact of the matter is we are overrun with worry and anxiety. If you don't struggle with chronic worry, there's a really good chance that someone close to you in your life or someone close to you in your section right now is walking through it as we speak because we worry. Last year, there was an article uh, in the New York Times and a social media consultant was quoted saying this, quote, if you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if there's a better way and we don't have to live with this crippling everyday worry and anxiety? Even if you don't believe that it can happen, just, just imagine with me for just a second, what if it were possible to live a life free from worry? If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus seems to think that it is possible. In fact, he believes it so strongly that he commands his followers to live that kind of life. If you got your Bibles, open them up with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. While you're turning there, I want to say something that's really, really important to me. Uh, so, so just pay attention for just a second. When we talk about anxiety or worry or anything like that, I think there are two extremes to the discussion, and I want to be really careful to avoid both of them this morning. On one end, there's the camp that would say everything is spiritual, there's no physical aspect to it at all. So you just, if you struggle with worry or you struggle with anxiety, you just need to pray more and worship more and read your Bible more. And if you're like medicated for anxiety or something, then that's a sign that maybe you're just a second rate follower of Jesus. And I don't believe that's true. And I wanna stay away from that this morning. I think medicine can be a gift from God that he uses to help us. But there's also the other end of the spectrum that says everything is physical. There's never any spiritual aspect to it. It's just hardwired into you. So the best you can do is meet with the right people, take the right medicine, and at best, just manage your anxiety or your worry and keep it at bay. And I don't believe that either. I think when we look at the words of Jesus as we follow him, I do think sometimes there are very spiritual reasons for our worry and very physical reasons for our worry. So this morning, as we read, I want to walk the thin line between those two extremes as we look at anxiety. So Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, which pause, that means he is carrying on a conversation that he's already started, okay? So he's in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's his most famous teaching. And he just finished talking about money. Now, I'll leave it up to you if you think it's, it's on purpose that he moves right from money into anxiety and worry. I think maybe there's something to that. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life 
What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? 28, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Verse 31, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Three separate times in this passage, Jesus says, point blank, do not worry. And before we fall into the temptation of thinking that maybe the people Jesus was talking to didn't have the same reasons to worry that we have, it's important to realize exactly who those people were. Okay, so Jesus is talking to most likely very, very poor members of a farming society. So when he says, do not worry, he's talking to people who were very familiar with famines and droughts that would have affected the entire economy of their area. He's talking to people that understood the feeling of hunger pains because they didn't have enough to eat, understood the feeling of their tongue sticking to the roof of their mouth because they didn't have enough to drink because their wells had dried up. So when he says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink, he's not saying, don't worry about what restaurant you're gonna choose after church on a Sunday. For them, it's a matter of survival. He says, don't worry if you're going to have enough. He's talking to people who would have lived in a climate that could be very extreme. So when he says, don't worry about your clothing, he's not saying, don't worry about what brands you're gonna wear or if your fashion is up to date. He's saying, don't worry if you're gonna have adequate clothing to survive the elements. And yet still, even talking to people whose worry was a matter of survival, Jesus doesn't back down. He says, do not worry. But how? It's interesting to me that according to Jesus, the answer to our worry is not to get more of the thing that we worry about. So if, if money is the thing that causes you the most anxiety in your life and you worry the most, the answer to your worry is not to get a sudden flow of cash into your monthly budget. According to Jesus, if the thing that makes you worry the most is the future and the unknowns, the answer to that is not to just have a vivid dream tonight where all the details are spelled out for you and you know exactly what to do. According to Jesus, our worry and our anxiety goes even deeper than that. So as we fight anxiety in our own lives, as we strive to live this kind of life that Jesus seems to think is possible, what can we do? We look at the passage, I think there are three things that we can pull out uh, for our own lives. Number one is this, remember your identity. Remember your identity. I think the first reason that we struggle with anxiety and worry in our day to day, just like the original audience, is because as followers of Jesus, we forget who we are. Jesus gets to this by pointing to the flowers in the field and the birds of the air. He says, look, the flowers and the birds, they don't have to worry at all 
but your heavenly father still takes care of them. And then this is the key in verse 26. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then he goes into the flowers and he says the same thing about the birds. He says, they don't have to worry. And yet I take care of them. And then in verse 30, he says, will he not much more clothe you? In other words, if I can rephrase the question that Jesus is asking, he's saying, do you not know how valuable you are in the eyes of God? Did you know that you are God's most valued creation? The Bible says that you are his handiwork, or some translations say you are his masterpiece. Of all the things that God created, of all the things at God's disposal, you are the pinnacle. And I know this, we take care of the things that we value the most, and God is the exact same way. I learned a little bit more about what it means to value something immensely three months ago when our daughter was born into the world. If you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. I don't have words for how much I love that little girl. And guess what? It has nothing to do with what she does, how she acts, how she earns my love, anything like that. Literally at this point, she she does that. She sleeps and cries and poops. And that's all. She does nothing to deserve love, earn love, anything like that. But because she's valuable to me, And because she's my child, she has intrinsic value to me that will not go away. And because I value her that much, I will take care of her. We, we, we understand this when we're the parent dealing with a child, but when the roles are flipped and we're the child dealing with a parent, for some reason, we convince ourselves that it's just not true anymore. And yet the Bible is full of passages that talk about our relationship to God as a child relating to a parent, to a father. In fact, in the exact same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, if you flip forward one chapter, Jesus goes into this whole discussion about how God is like a father and he loves to give good gifts and take care of his children. So why do we struggle to believe it when the roles are flipped? For some reason, we're good at convincing ourselves that we are not deserving of God's provision. Maybe we're followers of Jesus, but you don't know the mistakes I've made, the things I've walked through, the places I've been, the people I've seen, all that kind of stuff. And so we think we're not worthy of God's provision. We, we say things like, you don't know who I am. And to those of us that are in that camp, convinced that we're not valuable enough for God to watch over us, I think Jesus says the exact same thing that he said to the original audience. He says, are you not much more valuable than you realize? Your identity as a child of God is locked, set in stone, and nothing you do can change God's mind about that. There is not a night that you wake up in the middle of the night gripped with fear and worry that God was not already awake. There is not a morning that you wake up and worry about the things that come about your day that God was not already right beside you. There is not a worry clouding your brain or a situation in your life right now that God has not already thought through every possible outcome. And he says, I'm with you. Do you not know how valuable you are? Because you are his most valued creation. I think sometimes the reason we worry and get so anxious is because we forget who we are and we forget who God is. We're really good at convincing ourselves that it's not true. So the first thing Jesus says is remember your identity. The second thing he says is this, surrender your control. Surrender your control. How much of our anxiety occurs because we want control of a situation that we actually have no way of controlling anyways? 
Jesus gets to this again. He points to the flowers in the field and the birds of the air. And he says, they don't have to worry. And yet it's totally out of their control anyways. And this is the kicker, verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? To which the answer is a resounding no. In fact, research tells us that the more you worry, the greater your chances are of decreasing the hours of your life. So another way of rephrasing Jesus' question is, are the things that you worry about actually in your control anyways? See, when we can't control situations, when something goes wrong in our life, we, we want to grab for control, but we can't get it. And so we worry because it makes us feel like we have control of something. So if we lose a job or if we take a financial hit or if we get an unexpected diagnosis or we lose a family member, all these things that we have no control over, when we can't control, and we know we can't, we just worry about it even more because for a little bit of time, it gives us the illusion of control. In Psychology Today, counselor William Berry said, worry becomes an attempt to control or a wish to control what is uncontrollable. When you worry, you're not adding to the amount of control you have over the situation. It makes me think a little bit of being on an airplane. So if you've ever ridden on an airplane, you, you board the plane, you take your seat, the kids are screaming, kicking your seat, all that kind of stuff. You talk to the flight attendants and uh, then you, you, you buckle in and you take off. So you take off, you get up in the air and then you reach your cruising altitude and this voice comes over the loudspeaker. He says, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking. We have reached our cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. We will reach your destination of Dallas-Fort Worth in approximately two hours. But until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy your flight. And in that moment, you're faced with a decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to fly the plane yourself from seat 32A? Are you going to sit there in your seat the whole time racked with worry and anxiety, even though if you were the one in control, it would be a lot worse for you because the one who is control knows more than you? Or are you just going to sit back, relax, and trust the one who actually knows what they're doing? I think a lot of times in our life, the presence of worry is directly related to the absence of trust. Sometimes the reason we worry is because we wish we were in control and we don't trust the one who is in control. So we grasp, we do what we do on an airplane. We just worry and we fidget and we get anxious about it, even though it's not our battle to fight or our plane to fly. We worry. But the Bible tells us that when something is out of our control and when we feel worry creeping in, we should do the exact opposite. Instead of grasping for control, we should do the exact opposite and push control to someone who knows better. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All the worry that you feel and the situations that are out of your control, cast it onto the shoulders of the only one big enough to hold it. If, you, if you're worried and you're weighed down by the anxiety of your life, throw it into the hands of the only one who can actually carry it because it's not yours to carry anyways. So I think the first reason that we worry and we get weighed down with anxiety is because we forget our identity to which Jesus says, remember. The second thing is we, we want control and Jesus says, surrender your control. And the third thing Jesus says is evaluate your priorities. Evaluate your priorities. 
Jesus has spent a lot of time in this passage of scripture telling us what not to focus on. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your drink. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But then at the end, he says, here is what you actually should devote your time to. Look at what he says in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I love how the message paraphrase puts this. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. One commentator who wrote about this passage of scripture said this, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means that the most important issue in every decision I make and in everything I do is determining God's perspective. Can you imagine if every decision of your life was filtered through the lens of what does God think about this? I think it's clear that Jesus, when he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you, he's not talking about the cultural brand of Christianity that's so prevalent in our day to day. You know what I'm talking about. We live in the South. You know, we have the big man upstairs and we say prayers before meals and we come to church as often as we can unless there's something going on. And we try not to say curse words, at least in front of the kids. And um, we pray before meals and all this kind of stuff. And then sometimes when the offering bucket goes by, we'll throw in a little bit of money. But at the end of the day, determining God's perspective is not the filter through which we view our lives. It's just another thing. Church is just another thing of our lives or, you know, God is just a part of our lives, but it's not the center core of everything we do. But Jesus is clear, only those who are all in for the kingdom of God have the promise of God's provision. There is no in-between. In fact, I think Jesus would say that for those who don't seek first the kingdom of God, for those who have one foot in and one foot out, there's no reason to believe Jesus or take him seriously when he says, do not worry. There's no reason to, to believe that. You have every reason to worry, I think. If we don't seek first the kingdom of God, there's no longer the second part of that promise. And then all these things will be added unto you. We have action in the game. So my question for you is how different would your life look if the kingdom of God and his righteousness was your greatest desire? How different would all of our lives look if we really took Jesus seriously on this point? Honestly, I don't think there's a single area of our lives that would go untouched if we really took it seriously. I think it would change our personal identity and how we see ourselves I think we'd no longer be okay holding secret sins and tucking them away into the corners of our lives because no one sees, because ultimately I think we'd be more concerned with the kingdom of God and his righteousness taking place in our lives. I think it would filter its way into our homes, the way we interact with our spouses, the way we disagree with our spouses. I think it would make its way into our parenting, how we discipline our kids, how we love our kids, how we do everything and factor our priorities for our kids. I think that would change. I think it would change our, our professional lives. When you go to work, I think things would be different if the kingdom of God really was at the forefront of my mind all the time. I think it would change how I interact with my friends, both, both those who follow Jesus and those who don't. 
I think it would change how I view my money and my finances. And I'm not just talking about throwing a little more in the plate casually as it passes by. I think it would reshape every area of our lives if God became my greatest focus. And more importantly, Jesus says that if the kingdom of God becomes my greatest focus, two things I can be sure of. Number one, God will meet all my needs as he sees fit. And number two, I can sit back and watch as my worry begins to dissipate. So what would happen if we lived our lives like that? Perhaps your greatest anxieties in life are a result of misplaced priorities. Uh, As the worship team comes and as we get ready to close out this morning, I wanna ask you again the question that I asked you at the beginning. What if it really is possible to live a life without worry? What if it really is? I think back to the original audience that Jesus was talking to on the side of that mountain that day, and I highly doubt that they left hearing this sermon and just never worried again. Like, wow, that's all I needed was that one-time experience. I don't think that's how it worked. I would imagine they left and then on Monday, anxiety tried to pop its head up or on the next work day where things went south with a coworker, worry started to creep in or the next time there was a drought or a famine in the land, they would be tempted to worry and they would have to remind themselves that they're walking the journey of removing anxiety from their lives. I think the answer to our worry And anxiety goes so much deeper than just a one-time experience. I think living in the peace that Jesus offers as an answer to our anxiety is more of a process than it is an event. It's not something you get one time and then it's just all hunky-dory from there. I think it's a lifelong process of learning to walk in the peace of Jesus and learning to lay your worries at His feet. For some of us, Jesus wants to reshape our identity in a really big way. This morning, he wants to tell you that you are worth his provision because you're a child of God. For others of us, we need to walk through the hard process of loosening our grip on some areas of our lives where we thought we had control. And Jesus says, you need to trust me and stop worrying when you're not the one in the driver's seat. For still others, perhaps the answer to our anxiety is a drastic reshaping of the priorities of our lives. Maybe this morning you realize that my life is not centered around the kingdom of God, but I wonder what would change if it was. And these things, more often than not, take time. There's no quick fix. There's no one-stop shop answer for this kind of stuff. But I do think this morning, a good place to start is to simply admit I'm not where I wanna be. To simply admit that that is me. Maybe I do have something I need to work on with my identity being rooted in Christ. Maybe that is me, I need to surrender control of some things. Maybe that is me, I need to be uh, the kind of person who can reshape my priorities around my whole life, fixing it on Jesus. And it takes time. But if that's you, if you're willing to say I'm not there, I want Jesus to begin to remove the worry out of my life. I want to look back in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years down the road and realize, wow, where did my worry go? Because I started walking with Jesus. If that's you, I wanna pray for you this morning before Pastor Ryan comes. 
I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a second. Not, uh, not gonna make you come up front, not anything like that. I just want you to admit that's not where I'm at. So if that's you, if you, everyone would uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you, you'd say, I struggle with worry. Maybe specifically it's an identity issue or a control issue or a priorities issue, or maybe you're walking with Jesus very closely, but some situations in your life have popped up and you just needed to be reminded, Jesus says, don't worry. If that's you, on the count of three, would you raise your hand just to admit, I'm willing to start the process. One, two, three. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, lots of hands, lots of hands. If you've walked through anxiety or worry, you know its power. But if you've walked a life with Jesus, you know his power too. The power to completely transform a life. And I believe Jesus can change your life too. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for so many people willing to be honest, willing to say, I do worry, willing to say, I, I, I don't have it all together. I'm not where I need to be. Jesus, thank you that you love us enough to show us areas of our lives that need work. You love us enough to slowly but surely conform us into your image. And that takes time. But Lord, here we are willing to say that we will walk through the process with you. Jesus, for those in the room that struggle to believe they're worth the provision of God, would you remind them of the sacrifice you made on Calvary? and the love that you have for them and the provision that you have. For those of us, Lord, who struggle with control issues, we wanna control everything, but some things we just can't. Would you remind them that you're way better at controlling our lives than we are? And show them that you're still in the driver's seat and you still care. And Lord, for those in the room who are willing to admit that my life needs a drastic priority makeover, Lord, would you help them through the process? Show them that following Jesus and centering our lives around the kingdom of God is no drag at all. In it, there is fullness of joy. Lord, you came to give us life and life more abundant. And we wanna live that kind of life. So Lord, we look to you. Help us, Jesus, to walk out this journey of being a worry-free church. We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.